Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Faith FM with Encounter with God. And as we get into our Bible study today, we have another clue for our quiz. A what book am I? We still don't have the answer for it. So there's still double prizes available. Yep. Yeah, so remember, if you if you got an answer to this quiz, call us up on 1-800-324-843 or give us a text on 0491064669. But here is the next clue for the quiz. Quote, Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, oh, the prophets. I know this verse. <laughs> <laughs> That's an awesome verse. Okay. All right. Well, what, what, do, do you know the answer? I know the verse off by heart. I'm going to go... Oh, and there it goes. Double prizes are off the table. They are off the table. They are officially off the table. But... That's a good verse. I like that verse because it establishes a principle... Um, of how God uses prophecy. And basically the principle is this. You're never going to have a big event. Every big event that there is in the Bible is preceded by a person who has the gift of prophecy to guide Mm -hmm. God's people through that event. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, the flood. You have Noah who comes along with a lifetime gift of prophecy to guide God's people through that event. The first coming of Jesus. You have John the Baptist. Um, The... uh, the, the Babylonian captivity, you've got Ezekiel and Jeremiah. You know, mm-hmm. any big event, God is yep. always going to have. And of course, the biggest event of all time is the second coming of Jesus. If you look at God's method, God never changes his method. He always uses the same method. And so then we should expect the gift of prophecy to exist now just as it did back then. Mm-hmm. You know, I come across some people like, yeah, no, no, the gift of prophecy doesn't exist anymore. I'm like, I don't read that anywhere in my Bible. <laughs> Can you please show me the Bible verse that says that is the case? Mm. Um, you just, you know, you simply don't read it. In fact, the Bible says at the end of time, beware of false, beware of false prophets. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't. It doesn't say beware of anyone claiming to have the gift of prophecy. He says just watch out for the false ones. False ones, yeah. yeah. Okay, so we need to, uh, yeah, that's a little bit of a sidetrack there, but uh, great <laughs> verse, great verse. Um, the Lord does nothing except he reveals it through his servants, the prophets. Okay, so where were we up to? We were in the storm. We left, we left, we left Paul in the middle of a storm. Mm-hmm. He is sailing to Rome. Let's just do a, a quick summary as we get started. He's sailing to Rome. They have worked their way up the coast from Caesarea up to Sidon. Uh, they have encountered headwinds, so they have cut across to the north of Cyprus um, and yeah, been beating the windward pretty much as hard as they can all the way mm-hmm. across there. Very, very difficult sailing. They've eventually come across the south side of Crete, uh, come into the port of Fair Havens, which is not a very fair port, <laughs> decided that against Paul's advice that that was a, um, a not a good place to spend the winter because the season for sailing to Rome had passed, decided that they would try and get about 56 k's further up the coast to a really good harbour where they could um, settle the ship in for, for the winter. And, uh, and, of course, they get about 27 kilometres thereabouts across the Bay of Masara and the warm southerly that was blowing, which would have been uh, about two points... Um, um, off of the um, um, port side of the ship, you know, so mm-hmm. it's basically a nice reach, a nice yep. reach across the harbour, and a warm southerly breeze coming up of Egypt. It backs, it turns into a nor nor'easter, and blows like a typhoon. The Bible uses the word typhoon right here. Mm. Um, now they're in trouble, <laughs> yeah. and now is where we start to pick up the story. So why don't we pick that up in uh, verse fifteen for us there, please, right. Lawson? 
in verse 15, uh, the Bible says, the sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. Okay, so if you look at a map very quickly of the island of uh, Crete and you note where Fair Havens is, mm-hmm. you find them sailing you know, about uh, halfway across the, uh, the, the, the Bay of, of Masara there. You will find that at this particular point, this gale has hit. They have had to react very, very quickly. They initially begin by running before the gale. They've come up on a small island called Claudia, uh, which of course today is called Gavdos, and they're able to run in under the shelter of that island briefly, which gives them an op- enough opportunity to, to basically configure the ship to ride out a storm. Mm-hmm. So they need to put the ship into storm configuration. Yeah. And it's interesting to see what they actually do at this particular point. Uh, the very first thing they do is to bring the, uh, the tender aboard. So we'll read that in verse 16. Yep. In verse 16, the Bible says, We sailed along the sheltered side of a small island named Corda, where with great difficulty we hoisted aboard the lifeboat being towed behind us. Yeah, so the lifeboat here, yes, it's a lifeboat, but primarily in those days, you know, a lifeboat is always a last resort. A lifeboat is always something that you step up onto. You never step down into. Mm. Um, And... By towing it behind them, they were, um, you know, they were they had you know great danger of losing that boat. There was every possibility that, that uh, you know, she would she would break her um, break her tow rope, and that would be the end of it. They would never see it again. So they're yeah. like one of the first things you got to do is you've got to get that thing aboard and you've got to lash it down. Okay, so they've they've got the lifeboat aboard. What do they do next? Then the sailors bound ropes uh, around the hull of the ship to strengthen it. They were afraid of being driven across to the sandbars of Cyrus off the African coast. So they lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship and were driven before the wind. Now, this is an interesting translation that we have here. Um, And translators are a uh, a little bit confused as to exactly what it was that was taking place at this particular point. There's a number of, thi- number of things that we need to observe um, within uh, this actual passage. The first thing is that they are um, running ropes around the ship to strengthen the ship. Mm-hmm. This indicates that this was a very old ship. Yeah, Her timbers were working badly. She was leaking because when you look at the drift pattern, you know if they have initially run before the gale... Um, halfway across the base of Masa- uh, from Masara to the island of Korda, then you're about three hours into the storm. Mm-hmm. And if you are running ropes around the ship to strengthen the hull three hours into the storm, then, number one, you know that this is going to be a long storm. The sailors know what they've hit. They've known yeah. this, 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 this nor nor'easter, uh, or, or this east nor'easter, I should say, has a, has a reputation of blowing for weeks on end. Mm-hmm. That's not a good thing. But at the same time, if you are if you are strengthening the ship already, mm-hmm. then that's a very, very strong indication. She's an old ship. Her timbers are working badly. She is leaking like a sieve and they are worried for their lives. <laughs> now, the biggest danger, of course, for a ship in this situation is foundering at sea. Mm. You know, if she goes down at sea... There's basically no hope of survival in those days. You can't set off an EPIRB and wait for someone to come and rescue you. Mm. You are pretty much, you know, you're You're done. done. Your survival depends on your actions. Now, in your translation, it says that they lowered the sea anchor. Mm -hmm. In my translation, it says they lowered the sails. Oh, 
Interesting. What the actual Greek says is they lowered the gear. Yeah. We don't know what that gear was. But we can get an indication from what it was uh, by looking at what they were afraid of. Mm-hmm. Because initially, you know, when the storm hits, the first thing you're going to do is fill that big square sail. Mm-hmm. Because that is not going to be able to hand, handle the uh, the wind as it is rising up, so they've they've obviously been able to square that to to, uh, to fill that big square sail. And remember, you've got a fairly short mast, you've got a yard that is about basically the length of the ship. So this is a massive yard and a very very long wide sail that is filled on that yard. If you are uh, setting the ship, configuring the ship so that she'll sit, sit snug in a storm, you don't want that big yard at the top of the mast waving around in the air and becoming a massive counterbalance. Mm. So the natural thing when the Bible says they lowered the gear, the natural thing to do would be to actually lower that yard and lash it to the deck. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been in a situation where we've actually done that. We were sailing up the east coast of Tasmania off the Freycinet Peninsula. We hit winds that were pushing in the, in the heavy gusts up around 60 knots. Yeah, wow. And uh, we blew out the mainstyle and, and broke the boom bang. And um, <laughs> I was actually I was actually below decks and I knew that it was blowing hard because I was sleeping on the hull, not on the mattress. I was in the bunker off shift at the time. And so we called all hands on deck and one of the things we did was we uh, we brought the boom down mm-hmm. and lashed it to the deck. Yeah. So that's, that's what you would do in this kind of a situation. The next thing is, did they lower a sea anchor? Well, if lowering the gear refers to lowering that big yard, then maybe they haven't lowered the sea anchor. Mm. I would say, I would argue that they didn't lower the sea anchor, that they actually did something else which was uh, just as effective, if not more effective. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, so what's their fear in this situation? Where, where, where are they worried they're going to be blown up upon? A uh, sandbar. A sandbar. Now, um, and that sandbar, of course, is off the north coast of Africa. Mm-hmm. My translation says they lowered the sails. Your translation says they lowered the sea anchor. The actual Greek says they lowered the gear. I'm going to go with lowering that big yard, but mm-hmm. not necessarily lowering the sails. Because yeah. remember, they had that small sail on the foremast, which was mm-hmm. called the Artemon. Yeah. Their fear is drifting directly before the wind. If you are in a East Nor'easter in the Mediterranean, off the island of uh, uh, Clauda, mm-hmm. then if you look at the drift from there, just draw a simple straight line, it's going to take you straight through to the sandbanks of Sirtis um, around Libya, Tunisia, that area. Mm-hmm. The sailors are smart. They know exactly what direction they're going. What they don't want to be doing is to be drifting. And so we know that the, 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 if, if, if you lower the sails and run on bare pole, run before the wind on bare poles, mm-hmm. you're going to arrive there in about a day and a half. Mm-hmm. So your other alternative, other than running before a storm, is to face the storm. Yeah. Now, a sea anchor will enable you to face the storm, but it's not going to change the direction of your drift. Mm-hmm. What they need to do is change the direction of their drift so that they are not running down on those sandbanks. Yeah. And the way that you do that in a storm, this is your other option, is you heave to. Now, when you heave to, you run a, uh, a small sail up your foremast, lash the helm down, so that what happens is that 
the ship will uh, sit snug facing into the storm. So, you know, as soon as you go broadside in a storm, you're done. Mm-hmm. You, you're just going to capsize and uh, a ship like that is just going to go down like a stone. Mm-hmm. So you've got to either face it or run from it. So now you're facing, you, you've, you've positioned the ship so you're facing into the storm. You've got a small storm sill up on your foremast and you are positioned in a way where you are, are, are clawing into the wind but at the same time drifting sideways and your sideways drift, if, you're, if, you're heave, if you heave to in a uh, east nor'easter in the Mediterranean, um, you're going to be drifting, your, your drift is going to be directly towards Malta. Yeah. And that's a, there's a lot of sea space there. Mm-hmm. So basically what they've done in this particular position is they've configured the ship in a safe way to ride out the storm and given themselves as much sea room as possible. Mm. Now, Malta is a spec. Be very easy to drift straight past Malta, and uh, you know, end up in the Straits of Gibraltar or worse. Yeah, you know, the United States or somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but basically, that's um, that's that's what you've got here. If you actually look at where they ended up and and uh, and the direction of the wind and the and the actual. Um, um, and so, yeah, these guys, these guys are seasoned sailors. They know exactly what they're doing. They've uh, they've they've battened down the hatches. They have um, strengthened the ship. They have hove to. They have changed the direction of drift. They have done basically everything right after that initial mistake of leaving Fairhavens, thinking that they could sneak through on that nice warm southerly. Okay, let's let's go back to our Bibles and let's keep reading. Yep, let's continue reading. We're going to read in verse, verse 18. The Bible says, The next day, as a gale force, uh, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until all hope was gone. Okay, and this is this is interesting again. So they, the first thing that they do is throw over the car, throw over the cargo. Mm-hmm. They would have begun begun that with the deck cargo. Mm-hmm. Um, the purpose of this, of course, is to make the ship lighter and to make her ride higher in the water. That way, she ships less water, and they have to do less bailing. Uh, it's also going to stop the timbers from working so badly, so she won't leak as much. Uh, then they would have, so they would have started with the deck cargo, then they would have gone to the rest of the cargo. It's interesting in the, my translation, let me just read that from, uh, it says, um, yeah, where are we, verse 17. Verse 19 and 20. Um, 19 and 20. In, in verse 19 in, the, in, in my translation, it says, and the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. Mm. When Paul says we cast it out with our own hands, this indicates that um, all hands on deck. Mm. Why would they require all hands on deck to throw out the tackling? Well, very simply, you've got that that massive yard. Mm. You know, this is the length of the ship, yeah, with a huge sail on it. The only way that you are going to get that thing overboard is to get all of the passengers involved. So you've got like you know two hundred people involved in tossing that thing over the side mm. of the ship. Um, so yeah, the, the, the skipper is called for all hands on deck to um, to pull that one off. That would have been a major, a major, um, a major task. But it does show the desperation of their situation. There's now no cargo. There's no tackling. Um, they obviously have you know some very small sails left, but they are you know we had that, that they, they've lost all hope. 
And then, of course, they drift for many days. The Bible says this storm blew for the next two weeks. Oof. Yeah. And did not stop blowing. All right, let's keep going. All right, continues on in verse 21. The Bible says, No one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, Men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You would have avoided all this damage and loss. But take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of God, to whom I belong and to whom I serve, stood beside me. And he said, Don't be afraid, Paul. For you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. Okay, so here. Now, now, when you put yourself in this situation, Paul is a prisoner. There's 276 souls on the ship. Mm-hmm. Um he, why, why would anybody be listening to Paul? Why would anybody be taking notice of him? He was obviously a person who was a natural leader. Mm-hmm. Often in times of crisis, a natural leader will naturally float to the top. Yeah. Even though he is a prisoner. Not only that, throughout this whole storm, uh, I believe that Paul was never afraid. Mm. Why did Paul have anything to be afraid of? He had no reason to be afraid because he knew that God had told him that he was going to be in Rome. He'd known this for years now. Mm. So he had nothing to be afraid of. He knew that he knew he was going to survive. The really good thing is that with this particular vision, an angel comes to him and tells him, okay, you're going to survive. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I know that. But the angel then informs him, and so is every single other person on this ship. Yeah, wow. And that's really good news. That's really positive news because the Bible says that all hope had been given up. Mm. You know, the storm wouldn't go away. They had no idea where they are. There's no compass. There is no celestial navigation available because there's no, you know, they haven't seen the sun or the stars uh, or the moon or anything like that. There is no. Um, there's there, there's no GPS, mm. uh, none of that kind. They have no idea they're at. They're just they've been just just drifting across the Mediterranean for a fortnight now. Yeah, they would have been running short on supplies, short on fresh water. Uh, particularly, you know, though in those days, of course, water was carried in barrels, and if those barrels get contaminated, you know, they'd be suffering from dehydration, from starvation. The Bible said they hadn't eaten anything for a mm. couple of weeks. You know, everybody is seasick. You can imagine that this was a. Uh, just a just an absolutely miserable existence yeah. that they were in, and people people will fight and they will work hard when there is hope. Mm. They have lost hope. Yeah, and so Paul here he's, he's he steps up and he's like, "Yep, I'm going to give you guys hope." Okay, let's keep reading. All right, verse twenty seven. We continue on. The Bible says about midnight on the fourteenth night of the storm, as we were being driven across the Sea of Adria. The sailors sensed land was near. They dropped the weighted line and found that water was 120 feet deep. But a little later, they measured it again and found it was only 90 feet deep. Okay, so how do you sense the presence of land in the middle of the night in a storm? Well, by this rope, obviously. They threw the rope. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, it's basically they're, they're, t- they're taking soundings. Mm-hmm. Um, they've thrown that because they sense that land is Ooh. near. Mm. So how do you sense that land is near? Um, and you know, uh, um, you know, and, and and take a sounding 
when uh, you're in the middle of the night? Dude, I bet you have an okay, answer. Okay, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what you will. You, what you, what will happen if you are a sailor? You're going to be on watch because the most terrifying thing for anybody adrift is running aground on the rocks, and you're going to be listening for breakers. This is Jaden Lavik. Jaden Lovick, I need the every hour here as we are sailing through the morning, the breakfast show. Hey, there we go. I think another I, dad joke. I <laughs> uh, probably stole Lawson's thunder there. He was coming up with all kinds of good sailing introductions to, uh, <laughs> to, 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 to this particular segment. But uh, yeah, what have you got for us there, Lawson, for another clue for the quiz? All right. Again, this is a what book am I qu- uh, quiz. And I'm sorry because Lyle's already got it. So no double prizes today. But there's still a single prize there available. Is, there is. But continuing on. 
uh, our next clue is the minor prophetic book records the Lord telling Israel to prepare to meet your God. Okay. Ooh, so prepare narrowed to it meet down. thy God, O Israel. The Bible says. So we know that it's now it's in the it's in the in the last part of it's, if it's the minor, a, minor prophets. Prophet. So minor it's prophets. in the last part of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so if you have the answer to that, give us a call on one 843 or give us a text on oh four nine one zero six four six six nine, and you can. Claim a prize, but only only a prize. You could have had two prizes if you beat Lyle. Uh, if you've been quick, if you've got your Bible out and done some done some research. <laughs> but only one prize. But that is okay because we are continuing on. We're, 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 we're continuing to sail through our story with Paul. Okay, so if you're if you're adrift on the med in the middle of a uh, a storm, the um, you've got two massive dangers. One, of course, is uh, is running aground, and the other is foundering at sea. Mm-hmm. And if you go down at sea, you're going to lose you're going to lose all hands. You're never going to be seen or heard from again. And it's just like, well, Paul sailed off with a whole crew and was never seen or heard of again. Um, <laughs> alternatively, you um, can run up on the rocks. But if you've got a if you've got a ship that is that is this old, yeah, you've thrown out all of the tackling. Um, you've thrown out all the cargo. All you are doing at this point is trying to preserve life. Yeah. And if a, with a ship that is in danger of sinking, you only have one option to save that life, the, the lives of those people, and that is to run her aground somewhere. Mm-hmm. You've got to find her somewhere to run aground, and rocks are not going to cut it. And so you're going to set a watch, and you're going to have you know every single person who is on watch is going to be doing one thing during mm-hmm. the night, and that is listening for the sound of breakers. Yeah, they think they hear something. Mm-hmm. They throw out um, the lead line. They take a sounding. Um, yep, it's shallow. Yeah, they wait a bit. They throw it out again. It's getting shallower. Mm. What do you do now? Okay, so at this particular point, what you've got to remember is that they've hove that they're hove to. The bow is facing north. Mm-hmm. The wind is coming from the east northeast. Um, and so she's basically uh, head reaching, head reaching to the north and drifting west. Mm-hmm. That's your configuration where she's 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 set up for the storm. Now they hear breakers, and as we find, those breakers are to the south of them, but very very close. Yeah. All right. So they're in a they're, they've 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 come out up 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 on a on a windward shore. Um, that's a dangerous place to be. Mm-hmm. And so they're in a perilous condition. It is night time. So what do you do? All right, Lawson, keep reading for us. Okay, we continue on in Acts 27, verse 29. The Bible says, At this rate, they were afraid that they would soon be driven against the rocks along the shore. So they threw out four anchors from the back um, of the ship and prayed for daylight. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> okay, so here's the situation. The shore is there, right? Yeah. You know it is there and you know you're going to, you're going to go ashore. Mm-hmm. There's no way of getting around this, okay? What you don't want to, want to do is to go ashore out of control. Yeah. The only way that you can go ashore out of control when the shore is to your south and not very far away is you need to now turn that ship around. Mm-hmm. Okay, you, you're, you're hove to, you're facing north. And so what you've got here is they throw the anchors out the stern. Yeah. As soon as they throw the anchors out the stern, the bow is going to swing around. So now the bow is facing directly to the land. Mm-hmm. The hope is, you know, they're praying for daylight. And the reason they're praying for daylight is because those anchor cables are going to be chafing. 
And so every half hour or so, you'll either draw in the anchor cable a bit or let it out a bit so that it chafes on a new spot. Mm. Um, and, and that way you keep the core of your anchor rope sound mm. and, and the outside of it basically is, is, is for chafing. Um, you're hoping that they'll last through the night and you're hoping that your anchors won't drift. They've four anchors out the stern. They've thrown every anchor overboard they have. They, they do not want to go up on those rocks in the dark. Facing the, facing the land, they now know that in the morning, if there is a suitable place that they can run her aground, they have control because they are uh, configured to run before the wind mm-hmm. first thing in the morning and they'll have instant control. You know, the moment they cut those anchors, you know, they, they, can, they, can, they can raise the foresail, cut those anchors and they have instant headway, instant control of the ship. Yeah. They've done this right. They, they, they are smart cookies. They have set this up for the best possible hope of survival. Mm-hmm. Keep reading. Continue on in verse 30. The Bible says, Then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboat as though they were going to put out the anchors from the front of the ship. But Paul said to the commanding officer of the soldiers, You will die unless the sailors stay aboard. So the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just as day was dawning. Okay, we'll stop there for a moment. Back in those days, they didn't carry enough lifeboats for every person on the ship. Yeah. The lifeboat, it was a tender. It was used for transporting to and from shore when you were in mm-hmm. harbour. Um, it may have carried 20 or 30 men. Um, you're not going to get 276 people on the yeah, lifeboat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not going to happen. And the sailors like, yeah, we're going to take our chances now. There is land there. Um, and they can row the lifeboat. You know, maybe they can row her out to windward. The sailors... The sailors obviously have a very, very dim view of their chance of survival. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, the soldiers, they want to survive too, and they know that their best lifeboat is the one that they're on, which is always your best life, lifeboat. Um, and so, yeah, they cut that little one away and let it drift off. Keep reading. All right, continues on in verse 33. The Bible says, Just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. Um, you have you have been you have been so worried that you haven't touched any food in two weeks. Please eat something for now for your own good, for not the hair of your heads will perish. Um, then he took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, and broke a piece off and ate it. Then everyone was encouraged and began to eat. All two hundred and seventy six of us who were on the bo- who were on board. After eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing cargo of wheat overboard. When morning dawned, they didn't recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay with a beach and wondered if they could get ashore by running the ship aground. So they cut off the anchors and let and left them in the sea. Then they lowered the rudders, raised the foresail, and headed towards the shore. Okay, let's stop there for a moment. Let's see what's happening. If you actually look at the area on Malta where they came ashore, Malta tends to be a fairly rocky little island with not a lot of uh, beaches and this kind of thing. In, uh, in my translation, the Bible says that they saw a place where two seas met. And mm-hmm. if you actually go there, what you've basically got is a, um, a small a, a point. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like in, in heavy weather it becomes an island because the, the waves will crash right over the top of it. So it's where a place where two seas meet. So the, the waves are washing right over mm-hmm. this, um, you know, the back part of this point and they are, um, you know, the, 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 the ocean, the, the sea is meeting on both sides. Not only that, but this point runs shallow water for a long way out to sea so that you'd be able to see the breakers from a long way off before, mm-hmm. you, can, before you can see the land. Um, behind that, 
there used to be there's a there's a bit of a harbour made in there now, but it used to be it would have been swampy back in the day, mm. and so really it's not such a bad place at all to run a ship aground. Um, so here's what you've got: they're, they're, they've configured the ship to run it aground. It is facing the coast. They are they are they are ready to go, and all they have to do is raise the artemon that that foresail. Uh, my translation actually says the Ottoman and sail straight in, and that's exactly what they do. And not a single one of them loses their life. If your life is in a stormy position today, give your life to Jesus Christ because He is the one who is able to save you. This is Stones of Eden.
They're living far longer and far happier than most people in the world. And now, their secret's out. Six regions have been identified as blue zones, places where people experience holistic health. And it's doing them a lot of favors. So do yourself a favor and come along to the free Rethink Health workshops, where we will explore six core principles of health and longevity proven through the Blue Zones at the Swansea Center Sunday, October 7, October 14, and October 21st. From 5 p.m. is where you'll find us. For more information, call 0402-528-869 or search for the Rethink Health event on Facebook.
Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Alison Brooke with No Words here on Faith FM. We have come to the question of the day. Before we go to question of the day, though, the quiz is still up for grabs. Give us a clue, Lawson. All right. Our last clue for the day, and this is going to really narrow it down, guys. So be ready to call us on 1-800-324-843 or give us a text on 0491-064-669. So our next clue is, I follow after Joel in the Old Testament and begin with an A. That doesn't get any yeah. clearer than that. So what you want to do is you want to find Joel and then look at the book after it. And if it starts with A, you've got an answer. Then just start dialing 1-800-324-843 and you've got the answer right there. Okay, where are we up to? What's our uh, question of the day there, Lawson? Our question of the day is, which Bible translation is the best? That's a great question, and uh, we've actually had this one on Faith FM before, but we've never had it on YouTube before, we've ne- never had it on IG TV before, so it's good that it's come in again. Okay, so there are a number of different ways. It depends what you want to do with your Bible. Mm-hmm. Okay, it depends, are you looking for doctrinal truth or devotional reading? Okay, so we use um, primarily what Lawson has been reading from is the NLT here on Faith FM, and primarily what I read from is the KJV, this very old and worn out one, which I really like because it's the one I grew up with and it's a great translation. Mm -hmm. Here's how it works. You have some translations that are translated thought for thought. In other words, the translator looks at the Bible and goes, well, I think the thought that the author is trying to express is this, and then he writes that thought down in the language that he is translating it into. Mm -hmm. Then you have other Bibles that are more word-for-word. Now, obviously, you can't do an exact word-for-word translation. You have to add words to create sentences when you're translating from one language to another. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but he will be like, let's. I'm not even going to try and figure out what God is saying here. That's for the reader to do. I'm just going to write down the words as they are. Mm-hmm. Okay, so for devotional reading, yeah, you can get away with an NLT or something like that. Uh, but when you read something that raises question marks in your mind, you need to go back from a thought-for-thought translation and you need to find a word-for-word translation to establish doctrinal truth. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when you're trying to establish doctrinal truth, when you're studying theology, this is the direction you need to go. You're going to find a range of Bibles that are kind of in the middle. You know, some of them that are more word for word and less thought for thought, some that are more thought for thought and less word for word, etc. But really, um, I mean, the reason that I use this one here is because... I love to study for doctrinal truth, and you Mm -hmm. need to have a word. The great thing about this one, of course, is that whenever it adds a word in, which is an added in word, which is not actually in the original, in uh, in the old KJV, it will place it in italics, so you can see all of the words that have been added to create sentence structure. Mm -hmm. If it's not in italics, it's in the original. If it is in italics, they've added the word in. The other thing that is worth considering, and this is where the big debate comes in over translations, the debate is over two things. Number one, majority versus minority, or oldest versus newer. Mm-hmm. Um, the oldest versus newer is really um, becomes an, a, a, a discussion over pedigree. Now, with the older, newer one, you'll find that some people say, okay, the older the manuscript that it comes from, the closer it is to the original. Yeah. The other argument is the majority of manuscripts agree this way and the minority, which are older, are this way. Therefore, we go with the majority rather than than the minority. Mm -hmm. And so this one comes from an older manuscript. This one comes from a majority manuscript. 
And uh, I, I think that there are other other points that are worth considering with some of those older manuscripts, some of the history that uh, is involved in them. So if we go back to Paul's day in Second Thessalonians uh, chapter 2 and verse 2, Paul speaks about people who were writing forgeries, gospel forgeries, even in his day. Mm-hmm. And so we know that the Bible was attempting to be tampered with way back then. Of course, God is not going to be powerful enough to inspire the Bible in the first place and not then be able to preserve it for us in a format that is useful for us today mm-hmm. uh, and that is accurate for us today and every word of it inspired, I should say. you got, say, uh, an individual like uh, Justin Martyr, who was not a Christian. Um, he was a pagan. Um, he has a student by the name of Tatan, um, who was a Gnostic, once again, not a, not a Christian, but he puts together a diatessa on a harmony of the Gospels um, and uh, that moves on to Clement of Alexandria, who was the first in this line who claimed to be a Christian and said all Christian teachings are to be clothed with paganism. And this is where you get the origin of some of your older manuscripts. Uh, but anyway, thought for thought, great for doctrinal truth. Um, but when it comes to um, devotional study, something like that's fine.
Welcome back to Faith FM, and as we are uh, coming ashore on this show, we, as we're, ra- we're wrapping up, we're taking down the sails, um, and we're, we're preparing to dock. Um, yeah. Run aground. Run aground. Yeah, that's, that's what we we're are, really We doing. are running aground. We are running aground right here. <laughs> um, we have come to the part of the show where we give something away. We have, and uh, our, our, our gift today is a, um, is a book by Sandy Zalg. It's called Surviving Grief. Mm. This is a really important book. Grief is something that affects everybody. Mm-hmm. Grief we typically associate with someone who has lost somebody that they love and that is close to them, but that is not always the case. Uh, people can have similar um, responses to grief, you know, when they lose an important job position or they have to move overseas or, you know, mm. some, of those, some of those other symptoms can, can uh, be the same as grief. Grief is somebody, even with losing a loved one, someone a, a close person, is something that affects every single person. Mm-hmm. You may know somebody who is dealing with grief right now. You may be dealing with grief yourself, or you may have gone through an experience of grief in the past. Mm. If that is the case, this is a really important book. I would encourage you to uh, call us now on 1-800-324-843 to secure your copy of Surviving Grief by Sandy Zaug. Don't forget that you can catch all of our questions of the day on our YouTube channel or on IGTV, Inc. TV. Um, either of those are right there. And uh, make sure that you jump onto our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Throw us some support and uh, check out the uh, all the questions of the day um, as they will be uploaded there. Actually, they're going to be uploaded there by the end of the week. We're a little bit behind at the moment, but we are going to be catching up. Yes, we are. And uh, yeah, we're tying off the show right now. We're uh, getting it secured to the dock. And uh, yeah. Speak. 